kind of going back to what we said with the um, the speeds, that that's one thing a person can do is take all the movements that they're doing right now and on one end of the spectrum do them as slow as you possibly can, like I mean real, like painstakingly slow, and then try to see how quickly you can do them with as little effort as possible. And that actually reminds me of another key point is this idea that more effort for the sake of more effort is good. And that's probably one of the biggest fallacies of all training. That was Max Shank, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Thanks for being here with us, and hope you guys are having a great week. Appreciate you tuning in. You're in for a fantastic episode. On my coaching journey, I've always enjoyed getting outside the box, learning in areas that I was a total beginner and the dumbest guy in the room, so to speak. And and it's always fun to, to do that and just to be able to bring things back into your own practice and this being both in in training itself and and the human body and also elements outside the human body learning more about psychology and history and art and music and and looking at these inferences that they can make uh, for training and coaching and our guest today max shank is really an epitome of those things he is a fitness coach and he's the owner of ambition athletics in encinitas california Uh, He's written three books and taught over 100 courses in countries around the world. He's the creator of the 5-Minute Flow, which many of you may uh, be familiar with. But he's also an avid learner, having picked up guitar, piano, and drums as an adult, uh, and is is a massive reader, and just an overall super knowledgeable guy who integrates lots of, um, who integrates a ton of ideas in getting people just more athletic in in a very human and primal manner. Max has described his methods of training uh, training clients as as them working towards becoming an athletic ninja, and to me that really resonates. I, I just I love athleticism. Uh, there's probably many definitions for it, really, but uh, just things that make athletes uh, make getting athletes strong is awesome. But making athletes truly athletic is something that I think we we do need to get outside the box in 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 having just this full appreciation of. So on the show today, we're going to cover a lot of awesome topics. Uh, We're going to get into Max's ideas on the relationship of music with physical activity, how that fits in with his philosophy. He's going to talk about doing uh, the importance of emotional engagement in work and throw in a a great Bruce Lee reference there. He's going to get into why diversity and a love of movement is oftentimes lacking in the process of training individuals. He's going to get into what an exercise program means to him and also how this can be a sustainable practice across not just one's um, athletic career, but one's life, one's entire life and, and how we can create more meaningful movement and infuse that into our training programs. He's going to talk about the relationship between play and training, uh, mind-body relationships and, and what that means when it comes to effort. Some of his, he's going to get into some of his favorite tools for strength and movement. And finally, he's going to end with an awesome chat on his take on developing elasticity. Again, this is a fantastic show. It blends a lot of elements of uh, training and then life itself. And I think it just is, it's one of those shows that really helps us to take a deeper look at what we do. It helps us to read between the lines. And whether you deal with only athletes, uh, whether you work heavily with the general population, anywhere in between, whether you're an athlete, a coach, there's a lot of gold in this show. And I know you guys are really going to enjoy it. So that being said, let's get on to it. Episode 204 with Max Shank. I actually did want to ask you about your, and we could start with this, is I did want to ask you, you have all these instruments on the wall, and I see the banjo. I know that's a, 
in particularly intoxicating uh, instrument, but what's been your, your biggest muse recently when, in the different instruments you're playing? That uh, classical guitar over there. Dios mio, senor. It is so pretty. I just love the way that guitar sounds. And do you, I, I think I had heard that you taught yourself how to play or self-taught and that was later in yeah, life? Yeah, I, I took a few lessons and I learned how to play a scale. I learned how to fret and he taught me some chords and um, yeah, then, then I basically just went off on my own and it's, it's a pretty simple instrument. You know, you can definitely improve anything by getting an expert coach but you know part of part of what i like to do is deliberately just fumble around like when i taught myself to play saxophone i set a little challenge for myself and i was about to give a talk uh like a fitness lecture at a big conference with like 200 trainers and business owners and stuff like that so i thought it would be fun as part of my talk to buy a saxophone two weeks ahead of time and not learn anything about the saxophone and just see if I can play something as part of my talk, which I did. So it was really cool because I didn't even know how the thing worked. I didn't know what key it was in. I just like started trying to make noise. And two weeks later, I was able to figure out how to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and the Star Wars theme and to blend them together, just like fucking around with it. So I played Twinkle Twinkle Little Star Wars as the intro to my talk. And the main topic was, you know, you probably already know enough stuff. The big problem is that you're just not doing what you know. And half the fun is like figuring it out along the way. So I, I like that kind of stuff, just having the opportunity to kind of explore the space organically. Do you feel like there's a strong similarity in how you approach uh, working with your musical instruments and then how you approach learning new skills, physical skills and skills in exercise? Oh, man. I mean, yeah, totally. I think picking up new skills uh, cognitively, uh, musically, athletically, it, it's all very similar. I've learned so much learning about music, even just the, the, the crazy simple idea of using a metronome is outrageous going really, really slow sometimes and going really, really fast sometimes, playing it a little bit too fast, you know, deliberately doing it like kind of wrong and then seeing if you can like work your way back into it, uh, being able to express uh, emotional content into what you're doing, whether that's an athletic movement like tennis or boxing or wrestling or something like that and doing the same thing with instrument yeah definitely so many parallels yeah i think that the the art of expressing emotional content into physical movement is kind of something that no one really talks about very much but i think that yeah. it's i think that's a, a lot of the core of what you you do i mean that's why i like to start with the music the the topic on music just because i mean that's yeah. everyone knows that right but this is it's no different really than what we do it's like as above so below or how you do anything is everything right like i imagine yeah. we can approach physical movement the same way yeah i think that dancing is a really good example of that people usually well sometimes people are pretty good about expressing emotion through dance and there's that um 
quote from Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon, where he tells him to put e emotional content into it. And then the, the kid like angrily kicks at it and it's like, no, not anger, emotional content. And I, and I just like, that really stuck with me. Yeah, I'd love to, you know, I've, I've seen a little bit of Bruce Lee stuff. I wouldn't call myself the Bruce Lee expert. I read the book that, um, the I think The Warrior Within, I believe it was, but I'll have to check out that clip. It sounds like something that really fits in with uh, what we're talking about the episode, maybe I can throw it in the show notes. Uh, but you were you were saying too uh, a little bit about Max, like the way that music works in terms of like rhythm and time, like it's a different, the, the way you explained it before we started talking, I think really made sense, but uh, it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, how was, how did that go again? How was the, uh, what I was talking about before was its relation to the quadrivium, which is like the four pursuits of number, which is arithmetic, which is numbers, uh, geometry, which is numbers in space, music, which is numbers in time, and then cosmology, which is numbers in space and time. So music is relationships, uh, and ratios, uh, put together in time and there's the vibrations of it too i mean there are so we could talk about and that's not my expertise but i am super interested in exploring the relationships of frequency and time and the blend and relationship between those different notes and chords. it's it's really a fascinating pursuit it has been really life enriching for me and I think that's maybe a good way to bring them back together is, you know, if I make a recommendation for someone, I'm, I'm going to be asking them to do a little something every day. I don't know exactly what I'm going to be asking them until I know who they are. If I don't know anything about them, I would say the number one thing you can do is just do a five minute flow every day. But if you can make what you're doing and enriching experience where you like learn about yourself more and you express yourself more and the experience itself is very rich so that you eagerly look forward to doing it again that is going to circumvent all of these ideas about like willpower and grinding and pain is weakness leaving the body and all that like bullshit i mean the whole prospect of being a human being is that we want to try to get more for less with a lower risk like that that's the whole thing you know everything is kind of like we're just stockpiling stuff and trying to gain more security so we want to like you know have more strength so we can be tougher maybe i mean there are all kinds of reasons that people want different things but if what you're doing is something that you eagerly look forward to and gives you something that you're otherwise missing in your life then it's going to be something that you never miss and it's not because you're like the most disciplined person in the world. It's just because you have discovered the joy of being present and finding your flow with what you're doing and having that synchronicity between what you're thinking, what you're feeling and what you're doing. And that'll just make way more progress long term. Forget about it. Like I'll put that person against the most disciplined person in the universe any day of the week. Yeah, it's. It's kind of trendy to go to, well, and I remember one thing I was going to say that I, I forgot, it slipped my mind and you were talking about um, dance is I, I've worked with track athletes in the weight room for a few years of my life. And I noticed that they particularly love, would always love to dance between sets. And I think in kind of like the high discipline, I have air quotes here, but like kind of that the typical yeah. high discipline weight room environment that would be frowned upon like, oh, 
you need to be focusing on your lifting. You can't dance between sets. And it's like, no, like this is expression. Like this is the, this is the emotion that they're, and it's kind of like a freedom of movement too, versus I think the tendency oftentimes in fitness is do these exercises, do them exactly like this, you know, and, and this is training, you know, and we don't, we don't give way to just letting people move and explore their body and, and how their body wants to move. And I think if you volitionally move in a way, it's not going to hurt you because you're you meant to move that way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Grant, if you have 400 pounds of your back, it's probably a different story, but I think that, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You just have to ask why a bunch of times, like, why are we doing it this way? And usually um, the answer is the same. Well, that that's how it was taught to me. Well, who taught that guy? Some, some other guy, you know, so it's just this tradition that gets passed down. Um, you know, there are some like really great strength and conditioning coaches out there for sports. And, you know, who knows what percent are just having them do the same BS um, that they first started doing. That is just like weights, 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 weights. Um, believe me, I'm not saying weights are the are bad or wrong. I, I love like lifting weights, especially heavy sandbags. Uh, my favorite thing to lift is another human being, of course. Um, but dude, like dancers are savage athletes who have a huge variety of skills and ranges of motion and fantastic body control. Um, you know, I know you want to talk a little bit about like elasticity. Dude, if, if you did a little capoeira, a little ballet and some African dance before this whole, um, lockdown business started i was actually taking african dance classes every thursday and it was dude it was like savage athleticism it was yeah. very springy you know one of the things i talk about in the primal athleticism program is that you have two hearts and one of them is your feet because you don't really get amazing uh venus return from your lower extremities without movement like your heart is like pumping stuff out down pumping stuff away but it doesn't really have like with the exception of a little pressure it doesn't have like really good juice to get back up there so you know someone could be i mean this is serious like someone could be feeling very sick very sad and if they danced for one minute every hour of the day their whole life might change so when i think about like what to recommend somebody do, you know, I consider what gaps they may have in their modern lifestyle that are easily and quickly solved in a way that's super enjoyable. You know, you need to either rub or bounce to even move lymph around your body. And if you're not moving any lymph around, then you're going to have stagnancy and, and some sort of like level of disease. So, there are all kinds of good reasons to dance around a little bit. And that's kind of um, why it often feels like the blind leading the blind from a coaching standpoint. It's like, okay, so you're going to create an army of people who also move like robots. Like no, no, nothing wrong with getting strong. Like I, I super recommend getting strong. I recommend lifting weights off the floor. It can be a bar. It can be a sandbag. It can be a kettlebell. You will not, get the ability really to lift external loads unless you lift external loads. Like there, there's just a certain element to it that you can't get any other way. That's why carries, um, 
loaded carries specifically are a big part of it too, in all kinds of variety of ways. You know, we're made to do a lot, a huge wide variety of different things and skills that can really make your body feel amazing. I would say dancing probably at the top of the list, especially um, right now, because I think people are mentally like a little scattered and fearful. And then, you know, adults don't tend to like let loose that much anyway. Uh, I can speak from my own experience too. My favorite dance move used to be to like cross my arms and look really tough and just like lean up against the wall. Uh, you know, because you feel self-conscious, like people are going to judge you, but then you realize no one actually cares about you in the first place. They're just worried about themselves too. <laughs> yeah, it, it goes into like the, the bioenergetics thing a little bit. Like people are very repressed and it's, and you know, the mind being the body too. I think that we can get a lot more out of our own. I mean, that's, that's half of physical practice, isn't it? Like unlocking the, the body and having an impact on the mind, like just like what you're saying. And I know that every time I've done dance type stuff and even different than training, I don't know what it is about it. If it just works your feet a little bit different, like you could go and jump rope for you know, a few and that's good too. Like jumping rope or hopping on one leg is great. I, I love um, supersetting like squats with like 30 seconds of single leg line hops because you just feel more alive. Your legs feel alive. But there's always been something about dancing that is particularly that just takes that to another level, especially if it's a lot of like stuff where you feel your feet really moving and turning in different ways. And like some of the hip hop dance things out there, it's, there's something to that. And so I'm glad you brought that up from a lymph perspective too. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's totally there. I mean, you could, or you could tap dance between, you know, squat sets or something. It's uh it's not done enough. I'll say that uh, just, just attention to the feet in the process of a main training session. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, your lymphatic system doesn't have a pump. So if you don't, if you don't move yourself, it's not going to move either. Yeah. It's that, I never thought about it that way. So that's, that's something that, cause I mean, I, I don't know if this means anything, but you'll see sometimes like really good athletes feet, like you'll see some particular characteristics, but a lot of times like the feet there's, you could see like the veins in the foot too. It's almost like a, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but like the blood flow that goes through the feet, I think it's an important thing. Like it's a, it's a substantial element. I like what you said too. I, I don't want to, I did want to touch on this cause I really liked what you said about, and I think about this myself, like why, why do we spend so much money in the fitness industry? Like people pu- just pour money into fat loss products that they don't use, that don't work or they don't use or exercise that they regress on. And that the core of it all, it's, it's like you kind of get who you are, right? Like you have to want to do this. You have to enjoy doing this to a level or you're just going to continue to regress. I, I did a post, um, it was at the beginning of the quarantine or the shelter in place here. And it was something like, and I've been doing, I, it's kind of the first thing I started doing as soon as all this lockdown happened. And I, I didn't have my traditional weight room environment and stuff. Not that I'm, I'm not, and I agree with you. I, I, I have nothing wrong. I think it's good to be strong, but that isn't my first exercise choice typically, um, I, I like doing a variety of things, but one of the first things I did was I just got a set of parallettes and put some music on and just played for, you know, an hour. And that, to me, that's so engaging. It's like, I forgot how engaging this is, or just to put music on and practice breakdance moves for 30 minutes. It, the, the total engagement is just unbelievable. It's like, I could do this every day and I'd love it. And I never have to like drag myself to do it or feel like it's a chore. And I, I just like, if, if more people could just find that thing that they really love doing that doesn't take willpower that they don't have to spend willpower on that would change everything. And so, yeah, 
I, I liked what you yeah. said. Yeah, there are a couple things there. I totally agree with you. I mean, number one, the reason most people do anything is for like hierarchy and mating possibilities. Like that, that's why the fat loss thing is there, um, left, right, and center. And um, people believe that if they get bumpy stomach muscles, then girls will love them. And we're, we really are like anything aesthetic, it, it's just to be loved, like full stop. Um, you know, it's the same reason that, uh, girls wear makeup. It's the same reason that guys try to buy Ferraris and mansions because you can access like a higher, uh, number or quality or, or whatever. Like you, you just believe that that's going to improve, um, mating possibilities. And, and that's the, the highest motivation outside of like safety and food, right? Yeah, hundred oh, percent. I yeah, and I, I sorry, I, I was kind of missed the the cutoff there, but I, I was gonna say, and this is like the first question I had for you, and you kind of answered it. As I was gonna say, why is our the fitness and strength and conditioning industry, if you will, is it it's so dominated by, um, well, yes, like, like the fitness. I think what you said, bumpy stomach muscles, but I think a lot of the strength industry is just dominated by absolute strength, and maybe that's barbell as a medium for hypertrophy or whatever right for reverse engineering aesthetics but why do you think it's that way and why have we not put a priority on just the the ability and diversity of movement in strength and conditioning culture uh well it's like i was saying before you know uh tradition is peer pressure of the dead and part of it is that in order because there's a there's a competition for that group of people who want to get as strong as possible, right? And most people don't know why they want to get as strong as possible. I know that I wanted to get as strong as possible to be like the highest in the hierarchy. Like it was, a, it was like an alpha move. Uh, it was the same reason that when I was in college, I would try to like drink the most beers because then like you're the coolest. Like I drank the most beers. Like yes, people will, like love me. Now. Um, so you're still mostly looking for love. Like you, very few are really looking for like higher performance, but the narratives that are going to be told surrounding it is going to be, well, you know, if I essentially like choose the, the hill that I'm going to defend, I'm going to say, you know what? It's, it's five by five back squat, bench press and deadlift. You just do, do do your fucking five by fives and that's that's like the hill that you're going to die on you're going to say that the guy doing three sets of 12 is cool because you couldn't say it was equally valuable as five by five because you've already decided that your core message is you do this five by five and you say this is the best so it mostly comes to the reason people want to get as strong as possible and as big as possible is they're still looking for love um, whether it's love and affection from their peers or from um, ladies uh, or gentlemen, whatever, either way. Um, but then what happens is we have all of these folks, like myself included, and there's this seeming need to be very special and reinvent the wheel. And then once you decide how you've reinvented that wheel or how you've just told the story of the wheel that you were given, you're just going to say that that is the bee's knees. That's like the best thing there is. 
you know, um, seven by seven dips and chin-ups program. Like that's, that's my thing. And then you will, uh, kind of just beat that drum over and over again. So that's why there are so many similarities because we're looking for hierarchy and status and love most of the time. Um, and if you think about having like a really rich experience over results, people think that's like not that cool. You know, like if I say I can get almost as strong um, from just like dancing and wrestling as lifting any weights and then I never lift any weights, people would be like, oh, but you're not getting as strong as possible. And I'd be like, yeah, so like, okay. <laughs> like how strong do I need to be? I'm not looking to fight anybody either, but I still like to wrestle. Yeah, I, I resonate with what you said. I think about back when I um I started lifting weights when I was like 12. And a lot of it was because I just loved human movement and training. And I was into a lot of stuff. Basketball was my big sport. But I I remember, when I, I remember, I don't know why I remember this about myself when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. I remember thinking, I want bigger arms. And I remember like visualizing myself sitting on the basketball bench, like having these bigger, respectable arms as if, and people would look uh -huh. at me and think I'm a certain thing. And, and it's just funny how I look back and I can see my younger self wanting, craving that validation of ha of looking that certain way. And I carry it with me to this day. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. I don't, you know, now it's, now it's a definitely a little bit different. I don't, um, you know, I'm not saying, and I'm certainly not saying like I've mastered myself in any way. There's a lot of ways that I still try to acquire love, you know, in, in whatever I do, but it's definitely, some, it's definitely something that I have seen in myself very clearly. Um, all that being said, Max, I'm what, so what is physical being physically fit and just basically the art of training? What does that mean to you? Like, what is, what is that, um, encapsulate for the person who's on this quest to, to move their body better and to, to live life more fully as a result of their physical program? Probably have fun and feel free. Um, and I'll elaborate a little bit, like whatever you're doing should be enjoyable. There are tons of options. Um, to create a stimulus that you will adapt from. Um, and then the freedom aspect, you don't want to spend your life sitting on the sidelines. You would feel a lot better if someone said, hey, do you want to like play tennis or throw the Frisbee around or go on this hike or do whatever? You want to be able to say, yeah, I'll try that. That sounds fun. And to me, that that's the point of training is for it to be intrinsically enjoyable. So the experience itself right now should be fun. And it should be something that you would maybe even want to do if you didn't get any results from it. Like, would you still do it if you knew that you would never build like one muscle fiber from it? Would you still do the thing? That's probably a pretty good indicator that it's a rich experience. And if it expands your abilities so that you can try more things, then you'll naturally just be more active you know when you get down to the brass tacks of it if you're spending an hour a day on like call it training that's that's four percent of your days if you're you know waking hours it's 116 so it's still actually not that much unless you're really bad at managing your time then it'll feel like a lot but if you take your training opportunity to make it like a rich experience where you are, you know, connecting with yourself and improving your rhythm and improving your vision 
improving your balance, improving all of these like qualities that make it so you can try things without being afraid. That that's the ultimate to me. So if you are expanding your abilities and if you're having fun, then that's about as good as it can get. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to share with you a little bit about what our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, now has available in their store. You hear me mention in the outro of the show all the time about the free lap timing system in the K-Box, which I have and use regularly. But today I wanted to share a little bit more about the bar speed monitoring units that Simply Faster has, which is the GymAware and the new portable flex unit. So let me start with the GymWare. I mention it regularly on the show. It's been referred to as the Cadillac of bar speed monitors. Carl Valley calls it a lab inside a lunchbox, as the readings you get out of the GymWare go well beyond typical concentric or just up the up phase of the lift velocities. Rather, you can measure the entire shape of the barbell lift in terms of eccentric velocity, range of motion, and total work done. Total work being awesome, by the way, especially like comparing a long-armed bench presser or a 6'10", squatter versus a 511 point guard so you're getting all these extra metrics that you're not getting on other units it's perfect for teams wanting to manage the weight room and the data synchronizes to software platforms such as coach me plus team builder and athlete monitoring so new to the store is the flex which is the ultra portable and lower price travel version of the coach's favorite gym aware so just like the gym where the flex measures the shape of each rep range of motion total work done eccentric dynamics so for this and the gym aware, this is the advantage that a force plate would have over just knowing how high you jumped. You're getting many other metrics and information that go into this unit of work. Compared to similar portable bar speed monitors, this unit gets the entire rep rather than a fraction. So you have here two awesome tools. And if you're interested in upping your game in the velocity-based training and bar speed world, I would definitely recommend heading to the store at simplyfaster.com and checking into these two units. All right, let's get back to the show. I, I think it was interesting you had said to do something because um, there's a, maybe a contrast in my mind, but I, I know what you're, I, I know where you're getting at. Like you said to, to do something, even if you know you won't improve in it. Um, totally. I think about, for me, I think about even like, like I've always loved trying to run faster and jump higher and I'll, I'm 36 now and I'm not going to be faster than I was when I was 22. I'd like to think I could be. Yeah. And, and maybe I'll figure something out before I turn 40, <laughs> but I, I'll still, I'll be 50 and I'll still be sprinting and trying to figure it just cause I love doing it. Um, but I, right. I, I will say you would, I, I know I, I watch a lot of things that you do and you've learned a ton of skills like in your, and not only music, but also physical. And a, I mean, a big component of that is like, you know, you learn juggling and you get better at it. And what's the, I mean, yeah. what's the. I guess the, the, the balance between that, like stuff, doing stuff that you know you can improve, you get the dopamine hit versus, you, you know what I'm right, saying? Right. Yeah, so what I meant actually was, you know, don't do something just because of the result you're going to get. Do it because you love, like, doing the process of it. And I think what we're talking about now is approaching it with the mentality of a craftsman. And it kind of goes along the lines um, of how I think about structuring your day. It's not about doing things so people like give you credit for it because then you're still just like chasing something external. So if you do something just intrinsically because you like to, um, unless you're a professional athlete, then, then it's like a totally different set of things. Like you might, as a professional athlete, you might juggle 
not because you like it, but because your coach said it will improve your eye-hand coordination. Um, my, my point is saying that it's something beautiful to have a skill that you see improve over time. But if you're just doing the push-ups so that your arms will get bigger, you're sort of trapped. Because yeah. they might not. So what I'm saying is pick something that you would be happy to do, even if it didn't like build muscle or lose fat or something like that. Yeah, basically saying pick something that you would do despite the that's outside of being loved by others for it, essentially. Like is that would that yeah, be another way of putting it? The intrinsic love of the thing itself, you know, when I create a plan uh, or products or um, an invention or anything like that, I'm, I'm doing it with this idea in my mind that it better be something that I would do anyway, even if I couldn't put my name on it. So like if I was a painter, and I actually uh, did a couple oil pastels the other day, so that was pretty fun. Um, if I were a painter, would I still paint anything if I couldn't put my signature on the bottom? And if the answer is yes, then I'm painting the right thing. And if the answer is no, then I'm probably doing it because I'm expecting to get some like feedback from it. And I, I don't think that is like long-term a good call. There's a lot of different ways to look at that, but I think if you are doing things that you just intrinsically enjoy and who cares about like getting credit or results for it, then you naturally will. Yeah. I like that. It kind of fits with what we were talking before. They are a little bit about posting things on social media too. And I think that that can throw a monkey wrench in into it a little bit as well. Like the approval of others via look at this, this thing I did. Right. Um, I was, I'm curious though, uh, how max has that shaken out? So, can you just give me an example from your own training, like something that you like to do in your physical practice that would really exemplify what you were just saying? I probably do at least a few minutes of drumming before I get my training going. Cool. And I, I'm not doing it as like I need to get really good at drums. I do think that it's good for your brain, but also it, it's just fun. Like it, it feels good. Um, all, all of my training is that way. Uh, I, of course, you know, like who doesn't want to be stronger, faster, all that good stuff. And I think that'll happen naturally because I, I do some sort of movement practice every day and I weigh the intensity, but I also tell people, you know, I'm not really a good example to model your training off of because you and I probably have super different, like whoever's listening to this, they're going to have very different goals than I have. And they're going to have a ridiculously different past than I have. I mean, folks, like I already spent 10 years aggressively trying to be the strongest human possible and like pressing two hundred and six pound kettlebells over my head and doing 60 pound weighted freestanding handstand push-ups and swinging 400 pound plus kettlebells like it's that chasing more of that is actually just um a really bad uh trade-off from an opportunity cost standpoint 
So I just approach it in terms of what I want to do in my life, you know? And when you start asking those tougher questions, it, it really makes you consider what you value. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said, because like, I mean, the pursuit of absolute strength is and maybe trying to be the best basketball player you can be are probably two different things or the best track athlete. They're they're fundamentally a little different. I think that you're going to your body's going to wear out a lot faster in the absolute strength because we aren't we didn't evolve bilateral sagittal. We didn't evolve to squat. I don't think we did at least more so to run and throw and do other things. Um, But it does bring an interesting point. I've had my athletes in the past. I've always in the medium of track and field per se. I, I would, maybe I was a rebel with this, but I would just love to warm up by playing games. Like let's play ultimate Frisbee to warm up for our sprint session instead of doing all these a skips and B skips and me telling you how to do these sprint drills. Let's, um, and the athletes were always way more engaged. Like they were ready to go. Like, you know, and they're, everything was more engaged than, you know, you just watch people's faces and you see, um, it, it's just, it's just different. I mean, there is a risk reward doing that too. I had a all American high jumper sprained an ankle playing ultimate frisbee one time. That wasn't good, but I mean, robot, yeah, you know, shit happens. Like you, there's a robustness to life. Uh, but I think that that's not too far off of, of a creative outlet, even if it's just general fitness and it's not, you're not a, you know, you're not an athlete, a specialized athlete or per se. Um, you really gotta ask yourself why you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we play tons of games. We do pushing hands. We do this uh, thing called pizza delivery game where everybody holds a yoga block in their palm in one palm. And then with their other hand, they try to knock other people's blocks off. And it's like all kinds of like agility, but you're paying attention to the thing. You know, you just have to really just one time, like really have a hard serious doesn't have to be hard just have a very like honest conversation with yourself and say like why do i want what i want like really like what am i trying to get this for is this like ultimate strength going to serve some sort of higher purpose is it just because i want to stay healthy and that's also um totally valid too like if you just want to play the long game which is you know more in tune with my desires and goals at this point. Although I really do want to beat my friend Carson at tennis right now. That's a good, that's a good goal, but I'm not going to get that from more heavy lifting. I'm going to get that from more like vision training and, you know, uh, practice that just looks really boring. You know, good music practice can look amazing or it can be like totally boring playing one note at a time at, you know, five percent of the normal speed which is like really slow uh so it really just depends on getting clear on why you're doing what you're doing and then from there i think a a useful idea is to consider where the gaps are because part of it is figuring out what you want but the other part is figuring out what barriers you currently have in place so if you do spend you know eight hours sitting and looking at something that is 18 inches away from you, probably you're going to want to do some countermeasures. And there are things that you can do that don't take a very long time that can reset your visual vestibular system and get your hips uh, moving like hips again. 
So it really comes down to what are you trying to achieve? And the reason most of the training programs look so damn similar is because they're all trying to achieve basically the same thing. And that, that monkey see, monkey do, man. Like we just, we just do what we've seen other people do. And, um, most of it is totally believed on faith. And, you know, that, that's the way we learn most of the time. We just learn from some other monkeys. I like, Max, what you said about music. I like, I like the parallels between learning music and learning a skill, uh, a physical skill. And you had said the tempo can be so different. And you had talked about like the painstaking slow tempo work. And I think about the Russians in their system would have athletes emulate skills. Like soup, like if it was a tennis player, they would have them go through their swing, like it like take two minutes to complete it. Something that was painstakingly slow, not all the time, but that was something that they did that they apparently thought was pretty good. I've heard good things about that. But then on the but that to me is like the epitome of the painstaking training. I have air quotes like that's training. That's not play. <laughs> that's very right. specific and deliberate. Uh, what do you, how do you view the, the relationship between play and training? Like the, uh, and I know you kind of mentioned it like, you know, we, we have to love what we do, but how do you, yeah. if you're really trying to get, you know, you're trying to beat your friend in tennis, or you're trying to get really good at something. How do you view that relationship? Um, well, it, it depends on, uh, it's so funny how that's always the answer, isn't it? It always depends. The relationship between play and training, broad scale. So let's suppose that play is something that you just do for fun and training is something you do to achieve a specific result. Are those good enough definitions? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, Ideally, you would want to uh, structure your training playfully so you look forward to it. So if you identify the attributes that you're trying to develop or the stimulus that you're trying to elicit and then create games around that, that, that would be a good way to weave them in there. So selecting the right games to get the training effects that you want, um, yeah, that, that would be what I would say. Yeah, it's kind of like you have the meat and the potatoes of a session and then the games are around it. Like you have you start with the yoga, like the yoga block type game or something like that or or just or the games are more the the function of what you're doing as you're saying like it's like you look at what you're doing and the game has to do with the skill. Right. So like what if you're trying to train agility and quickness, then the pizza delivery game would be great. If you're trying to develop um maximum strength, uh, of course, depends if you have a partner or not, but you could do like some sort of squat game or something like that. Like I go, you go, I go, you go, or, or you know, whatever. Um, I, I am definitely not of the mind that three sets of three is better than five by five is better than three by 20. Like it, it really just so much depends. And kind of going back to what we said with the, um, the speeds, uh, that, that's one thing a person can do is take all the movements that they're doing right now and on one end of the spectrum do them as slow as you possibly can, like, I mean, real, like painstakingly slow, and then try to see how quickly you can do them with as little effort as possible. And that actually reminds me of another key point is this idea that more effort for the sake of more effort is good. And that's probably one of the biggest fallacies of all training. Because you actually don't get any points 
for extra effort. Like there's no benefit to extra effort if your goal is performance. Um, if your goal is, you know, maximum hypertrophy at the cost of everything else, and you're trying to be Mr. Olympia, then in fact, you are probably best served by like grinding through those last couple repetitions and you will likely be rewarded for suffering through that painful pump. But for the average person, I don't, I don't think that makes a, a worthy difference at all. Really? I think if anything, you want to try to do all your movements as effortlessly, as effortlessly as possible. Right. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you want to be like a ballet performer. Well, I mean, not necessarily, but you want to be like ultra smooth, land like land well or, or whatever. Like I totally agree. I was thinking about what you said about it, it is like a dichotomy. And e the book Easy Strength by Dan, John, and Pavel like totally rocked my world. Like, I, I mean, I think it was stuff that maybe I'd already kind of seen a little bit intuitively, but it just it made a ton of sense. And I feel like it's that that grind mentality, especially by the um, and you could almost sit, make the case that, that, that extra effort and grind is almost what you do to get love. <laughs> like I'm, it's the, the equate with those things. Look how much I lifted or, or I don't want to feel weak. So I'm going to do extra effort today to make sure I don't feel a certain way. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I cause I've been trying to pick at what is it really that makes easy strength so effective? Why is it that when you go over that little extra effort in like a lift, when you, you could have done, you know, you did three reps when you could have done five because you know that fourth and fifth rep were going to get you a little bit. Like why? I always wonder why that is. And I feel like it's more than just a general nervous system. I think there's other components and belief and emotion that go into that. But anyway, so I don't want to rabbit trail there. I just think that's really interesting. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, we're about to go up a level because all we are is beliefs and behaviors. So we believe a story of some kind. And in fact, a lot of people believe that they need to suffer in order to gain. And there's all kinds of like psychological fuckery there with thinking that you have to suffer to gain. And I'm sure, you know, anyone listening to this and myself included, you can think of people who live their whole lives with the belief that they cannot gain without suffering. And that that's a whole different psychological can of worms, but we are ultimately the beliefs and behaviors. And even the concept of like an easy strength is going to be based on that idea that there's no doubt in your mind. You 100% believe that you're going to be able to lift that weight easily enough. And really, I think the core message in that book is high frequency, but lower intensity, right? Um, so, so I think that's why for a lot of people, it would shatter those beliefs because Quite often, we think that the amount of suffering or the amount of effort correlates to the amount of gains that you get. But I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think there are all kinds of interesting ways to gain speed and power and mobility. And uh, I think that if you want to get really good at something, you should practice it frequently. And if you throw the kitchen sink worth of effort at something, you're just not going to be able to come back tomorrow and get it done again. And the idea that strength is a skill 
is a huge game changer for people because the analogy I always give is like, well, would you practice your golf swing until you got like a cramp in your obliques or would you practice your golf swing as fresh as possible and as effortlessly as possible? And of course you would always want to practice as effortlessly as possible. Like you wouldn't try to get a tricep pump from shooting free throws. Right. The goal isn't to like suffer and have a lot of effort. The goal is to make movement as smooth as possible. So when you approach it like a skill, that that is enough of a game changer there. And then you also have to have some respect for the fact that um, tissue takes a little bit of time to adapt. Um, you know, gymnastics coaches know this. Uh, power, many powerlifting coaches know this. A lot of people are really um, really understand how important it is to give the bones and the tissue time to remodel. And bone is Wolf's law and soft tissue is Davis's law. And I think that's worth a quick Google search for anybody just to kind of like get that understanding that, you know, we're, we're dealing with physiological changes and we're also dealing with neurological changes. So I may be able to improve your deadlift 50 pounds in one session, but it's not because we built any muscle. It's just because we figured out some way to allow your central nervous system to recruit more motor units, or maybe we just improve your technique. Like there are all kinds of ways that you can improve things neurologically, but there's going to be a lag for that physiological change as well. And if you're in a hurry and greedy for more pounds or more range of motion with flexibility, you're probably going to cause more problems than if you were willing to be patient and just, you know, keep exploring the edge of your capacity at a, a reasonable amount of effort. And that also is way more in line with human nature, which is always trying to get more for less at also a lower risk. Yeah, I one thing you're that I was thinking about um, was I don't know, like I, I think it's very easy to, I guess you can like beg on just this the art of reverse reverse engineering hypertrophy in general, just doing bodybuilding for just the sake of getting lover the you know kind of like muscle that isn't functional. I do find something that's really um, that I enjoy watching, like about the old like Dorian, like the old Dorian Yates stuff, for example, where it's like in that case, I almost feel like success is not framed like it's almost in that sense. Failure is the success for them, for what they're seeking. <laughs> it's almost like the ability to I'm trying to frame how that fits into this, if that makes sense, because to me, I don't I know Dorian does more just yoga now. He kind of wrecked his body with bodybuilding and is does more <laughs> movement stuff now, but it's almost I. I feel like there is something admirable about conquering the body with the mind if that is your goal. Not that that's a good thing for long-term health or being a good athlete, but I just, just you know, do you have any take on that or thought on that? Yeah, yeah I have all kinds of thoughts on almost everything. Uh, I First off, let me just say that I enjoy bicep curls at many <laughs> different angles, and I think they can be really good for elbow health. You know, so I'm... Um, I want to get that really clear. Like there are all kinds of positives, but the devil is in the dosage and it's not just what you do. It's how you do it first and foremost. Um, 
And you know, a lot of people, uh, everybody's on a different journey. Everybody's on a different path. People learn things at different rates. And some people die never having learned something that would have been really beneficial for them. Um, so it's not surprising that a lot of folks ultimately turn to body weight training, yoga, uh, tai chi, and something a little bit softer. Uh, I know that happened with uh, Brooks Kubik from Dinosaur Training. It was so funny. I just remember there was this like quote in that book where it was like, hey, you're going to take your 10 rep max on the fat bar, but then you're going to grind out 20 repetitions. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and of course, later in life, he's, you know, onto like the body weight and mobility standpoint. And I, I refer to that as uh, the tale of two ties. And the two ties are Tai Chi and Muay Thai. And the question I would ask is, there is a group of 90-year-old people. Which one are they going to be practicing? They're not going to be doing Muay Thai. They're going to be doing Tai Chi. And you might even argue that the ones who did a ton of Muay Thai won't even live that long. So there's a huge, there's a huge spectrum that you can exist within. And it's not right or wrong to be anywhere on the spectrum. Like, why would I judge someone who wants to be an offensive lineman in the NFL? Now, statistically, they're going to have a much shorter lifespan than a fisherman in Okinawa. You know what I mean? But if that fisherman in Okinawa were to play one football game, he would disintegrate on contact from one of those scary guys on the other side of the line. So everything is just risk-reward. That's why I often come back to opportunity costs and think about, like, what are you trying to get out of your time investment? And that's why I gravitate away from things that are just for the purpose of, like, spending energy. Like, to me, that's totally not worth it when there are so many other things you can do with your time, which is your energy, which is your life, that would make a really significant increase, you know, Probably, uh, I'm trying to think of what the average person is experiencing right now. Probably if the average person took some of their workout time away and did a little bit of singing and dancing, they would feel a ton better. Um, that's a weird recommendation. And actually, I would even add to create some music because that's much different than just listening to music too. And they even, you know, studies are very easily... Um, fudgeable and statistics too, but uh, I think there's a lot of good data on that being really good for your brain and saving off things like Alzheimer's and, you know, any, anything that they say is like good for doing that is probably just good for you to do in general. Like, you know, if you're 20, you probably aren't worried about Alzheimer's, but wouldn't you like your brain to work better anyway? Like ultimately the only power a person has is right here and right now and in the choices they make and the things they do. And that's why I revert back to that simplicity of, well, it's beliefs and behaviors. So if you believe that you must suffer for progress, you're probably not going to pick up the low hanging fruit. Um, you know, if your belief is that suffering equals progress, you might not realize that, um, I, I don't know, uh, it, it's kind of like with body work, 
was the example I was going for. You know, some people think that uh, scraping a small piece of metal, like grasping technique, is going to do it, and that is, can be really good for some people. And some folks think that you know you need to have like a pretty heavy kettlebell directly on your IT band for any kind of progress to happen. So you know you're always dealing with the brain and body together. And if you believe that you need to suffer for progress, then you're almost certainly going to orchestrate uh, all kinds of suffering in your life. I think that's why those 120 pound, now they're not foam rollers, the 220 pound things that look like a foam roller have become a thing because of suffering. <laughs> you have to suffer more to recover by rolling a 120 pound uh, thing on your IT band. I don't, I don't know the physiology behind that. I've heard um, people say that it's great. And I mean, shoot, if you do something that's pretty darn painful and then you take the pain away, that, that actually may make a huge mm -hmm. body change. And I will also say that force is the language of the cells. So, um, you know, the jury's still out on that. What I would say to anybody is, like, try it and see what happens. You know, just don't believe um, what you're being told, like try it out, you know, and if it's something that you can do for a week, that's great. But if you can't do it longer than that, then maybe that's not a good long-term choice for you. So, you know, one of the phrases I keep coming back to is, you know, don't live as if you would die tomorrow, live as if you would happily repeat that day 10,000 more times. Hmm. And it makes you start about how you want to structure your day in a very different way and every choice you make can be made out of like fear or love or maybe even some combination of both but um it does lead us back to asking well why do you want what you want you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah i, I really like that the living today like the day you live 10,000 times. I, I think there's a lot of power to that. Uh, I do oh. want to, I, I do want to ask you, um, just cause I want to make sure we cover these is what are, what are some of your favorite tools for training? You mentioned heavy sandbags. Um, like uh, I know you've used a lot of alternative stuff. I, I feel like we shouldn't even call it alternative, like clubs and bells and things. I mean, they're, they're training just yeah. as anything is, you know, I, maybe I just call it alternative, but it's semantics, but what are some of the, the tools that you enjoy using most in your own practice or in working with others? Mm, oh, well, uh, definitely sandbag, uh, definitely something to hang from like a set of rings by far the best, uh, piece of gear is another human being like some enthusiastic partner is like miles better than anything else. Um, because if you have like an enthusiastic other human being and a towel, you can accomplish everything you would want to strength wise. Like you may not have a place to totally hang from. So if you have a, an enthusiastic partner and a place to hang, you can pretty much get it all done in the best way possible. I like sandbags. I like gymnastics rings. I think stall bars are fantastic. I think there's nothing quite like a Swiss ball as well. There are all kinds of interesting things you can do with Swiss ball. Uh, bands are pretty darn unique. Bands are pretty darn unique. Um, definitely like clubs. 
Uh, Mace is also pretty fun. I mean, really, I, I'm, I'm just starting to like list the stuff that I think is fun to use. And I, I think it's all really fun. You know, if you wanted to get the job done with uh, no weights at all, it, it's really easy to get the job done with no weights at all. So it really comes down to what you enjoy. And, you know, my, my preference is um, having an enthusiastic partner first and foremost, and then a place to hang. And if I don't have a partner, then uh, a sandbag so I can still get the benefit of the, of the carries. But you really don't need too much more than that. Yeah, I think in a reductionist sense, like I always like the idea of reducing training to the, the most core parts just to uh, just for the sake of conjecture. But I, I, I saw uh, Juan Carlos is this, when I was like 20. I saw Juan Carlos Santana. I think that's his name uh, video doing body weight training with wrestlers. And they were working with, like you said, with each other. And I forget if this is something that they did or not. But this is something I started having my athletes do was a front carry front carry a person and then doing lunges in the front carry and i was like that is like one of the most brutal things that you can possibly do and between that if you could only do that exercise and then stuff from a bar i think you'd be in an all right place it's uh there's some power a lot of power that you can work with in just another human being and then it's like you know there's a little variability to it too it's never no no lunge is exactly the same they they might talk shit to you while you're doing it or or encourage you one of the two things and uh, it's yeah, right. th- there's always a lot of power in that stuff. Yeah. And there's definitely, you know, I, I, I really like medicine balls. I actually have some wooden, uh, balls as well that weigh eight pounds each. I have a wooden stick with two rubber stoppers on the end. Um, you know, ropes to swing around a chain to swing around. Um, I do some stuff that looks kind of like weapons training. Uh, you know, you really got to think about what will get you into that flow state and really connected with your body on many levels. So it gives you that freedom to move around. And of course, you know, kettlebell is a very nice tool as well. Like you can get a lot of stuff done there. So, you know, all that comes back to, well, what are we trying to accomplish? I mean, I have a, I own a gym down the road but I also have enough equipment at home to outfit another whole gym. But that's because I'm like a connoisseur. And that's also why it doesn't make sense for the average person to look at what I'm doing and try to emulate it because it's so, it, it's such a unique experience. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm doing it because I'm like a, a movement scientist slash artist, not because I'm looking to, uh, necessarily achieve a result. I'm looking to really see how I connect with these different things. I like what you said there about seeing how you connect with the things and being a movement artist. Max, I know you, you've had some posts about elastic challenges or benchmarks for people. I'm curious a little bit as to some of the different, some of the different things that you think, uh, and I think this does fit with, um, you know, the average fitness professional, I, I think a lot of strength coaches, the, you lift a certain amount of weight, but can you be elastic? And what are some things that you think people should be able to do from an elastic perspective? Oh, man. Um, dan- dance for five straight minutes. <laughs> um, that's the best. Yeah, do sh- that's it right there. Yeah. D- do a shoulder roll um, from standing would be good. I, I for sure saved myself a lot of broken bones uh, when I uh, took a spill on the one wheel 
it's this little motorized uh, skateboard with one wheel in the center. Super fun. So I was ripping through on that and I just nosedived and fortunately I rolled out of it on the asphalt. And I was just thinking like, fuck, if I had like tried to catch myself instead of roll, you know, broken wrist, broken arm, broken face, like who knows. So forward roll, very important. Dance for five minutes. Probably some sort of uh, pushing hands, if you're familiar with that, where you uh, line up in opposing uh, split stances, basically, and you try to push the other person so they have to take a step. If you can do that for uh, five minutes, I would say that's pretty darn good as well because it will also teach you to be rigid and soft uh, at different times appropriately. Mm. And then probably like spinning a stick or clubs with your, uh, for your wrists, you know, being able to do some sort of like, you know, figure eight pattern and the different like club movements and have that be really smooth. That would be like another good example of elasticity, I think. Um, elasticity is a big concept. I did a whole thing uh, for elasticity in the M3 Academy, which is like the monthly uh, group that I have. And that, that's probably like some of the most uh, difficult work I've done, I would say, because it's just so relentless. And then every time we tackle like these more and more challenging concepts, but the, the word elasticity applies to, you know, the like tension of your muscles and their ability to deform and respond. And elasticity is not just how much it can flex, but also how quickly it can flex and how quickly it can return back to normal. So it relates a lot to how you deal with the turbulence in life as well. So it's like a shock absorber. So you can have an elastic body and you can also have an elastic mind. And if, you know, you see what's happening right now, um, a lot of people with uh, what's going on in the world are like licking their wounds and, you know, sort of like feeling sorry for themselves. And it's because they just didn't have that resilience and elasticity. And so, that, yeah, elasticity, God, that's a really big concept. Um, I don't think there's anything else I would add. Those are probably the top ones, like dance, roll, wrestle. Dance, roll, and wrestle. That's my next workout right there. <laughs> dance, roll, wrestle. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fun time. That sounds like a good place to be. <laughs> that's the new gym, the gym of the future. <laughs> this, yeah, uh, dance, roll. I like it. <laughs> I like um, a guest I had, shoot, about 150 episodes ago. It was a big guy. Um, his name is Changji, really into the foot and elastic, fashion elastic system, and his one of his bench say, what was that did you say chong lee oh chong ji is his name uh, he uh but his one of his benchmarks was being able to basically be in a, a semi-crouch position just hopping laterally essentially for five minutes so it's just there's something about that five minute thing with the, the fashion the elasticity i feel like it's it's interesting man i like the so the push the the push hands is like basically just like pushing and trying to like the other person's trying to fall over or you're trying to like put your hands away in a split stance and do that for five minutes? Yeah, you can do it a couple different ways. Um, I would say the best way to start <laughs> is to have like um, set roles first. So you have like cooperative 
push hands, which is one person pushes and the other person just tries to absorb the force but keep their balance. So you practice that a little bit and then you make it more competitive where you're both trying to push each other over at the same time. And you can adjust the difficulty by, you know, if someone's got more skill, they can be in a symmetrical stance or they can put one hand behind their back. So there are all kinds of ways that you can adjust it so that it's fun for everybody. That's cool. I like, I like that. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I've always, I've always done that type of stuff as a warm up, but for some reason I never thought to do it longer than like, I would just do it. Okay. Go best two out of three. And you're just trying to push the other person over. I never really thought about doing it for longer. Like, but then again, that, that four or five, that longer minute mark being a big thing. And I think just hearing about that, I realized there's a lot more there. And I, I always, I mean, I always did it cause the athletes just loved it, you know, and doing that in the warm up, yeah. those types of things is, is something that was always really valuable. I never really thought about it in the realm of elasticity, but based off what you're saying, it makes really perfect sense. I think that's the number one quality to strive for athletically. If you're not a, if you're not like a professional athlete, I mean, if you are a professional athlete, that's still the most important, but if you're wanting to play the long game, elasticity is by far the thing that you want the most. Um, so anything that takes you away from that, I mean, what's the opposite of elasticity, uh, rigid, brittle, uh, you know, that you, you don't want that. So you want to try to be as, uh, relaxed as possible for athletics. And then of course, for something like powerlifting or, um, you know, bodybuilding too, even, and several other things you want to be as tight as possible. But the, the core of athleticism is to be able to have a big difference between tense and relax and also to be able to cycle on and off quickly. And I'm sure as a track coach that you're super familiar with that, that the athlete is best described by how quickly they can go from on to off. And as you age, that's what's going to deteriorate the fastest is your ability to be totally relaxed and then totally rigid all at once and then be able to go back and forth. Because if you look at the maximally strongest people, they're much older than the maximally fastest people. So you're just not going to see, um, I mean, what, what's the oldest gold medal, gold medal, gold medal Olympic sprinter, right? Yeah. Or what's the, What's the well actually fencing? I was taking fencing lessons too before this whole thing started. And that's a pretty um savage speed game right there. It's uh one five hundredth of a second is the margin for wow. scoring a point at in that game. So uh I think over thirty years old is masters division. Wow. Yeah, they that's I was just gonna ask what's the average age of a gold medal in fencing versus like sprinting, it's like probably twenty five, you know, or less. And and I wonder what it's like in fencing. Yeah, it's about the same. You got power lifters who are breaking records into their forties because you can just keep building more muscle, you can keep recruiting more motor units, but you're just I mean you are, uh, you know, as my friend Joseph says, you are fighting the monkey of like getting slower and declining into something a little bit more brittle. So you want to keep that uh, diversity 
uh, and relaxation of movements. Like you want to try to keep it as effortless and elastic as possible. I saw a video of two. They were they must I think they were like sixty in their sixties. The two Brazilians and they were there were some kids and these these two guys were were doing breakdancing and they were like their spines were super mobile and fluid and I mean you know they had the attitude or the look of like a 20 something a 30 something and it, to me it's just that was the ultimate expression of the mind the body and elasticity and I'm like that's what I would love to be like when I'm 60 you know I don't I don't care if I can squat a certain amount of weight or I, mean, I still want to be strong but I I would much rather have those qualities as I age because I feel like that's such a fountain of youth um, and I, I totally agree. I, I think that and with the elasticity being the ultimate marker of an athlete, I mean, yeah, it's important to be strong for sure. We, you know, but it's longevity and I think everything else that comes with like, even, even the idea of the ability to yield, like to be, there's a time to be strong. There's a time to yield, you know, versus a powerlifting mentality, I think is I'll be, I, I mean, I respect people who hit big lifts and are a lot stronger than me. I'll be the first to admit that. But I do think that that rigidity when done long enough where there's never any pull the other way, I don't think is the best thing. And so I, I like the way that you described that. Very few people would sac- sacrifice their ability to run, jump and play for a bigger squat. And the people who do will maybe set some world records and how nice. <laughs> <laughs> what so, what'd you say? Set some world records and what, what was the second part? How nice, how nice for them. That's great. Oh, I mean, nice. everybody, everybody does different things to like yeah. float their boat. My, my buddy, um, Mark Rifkin was like, when he had his, uh, he had like really messed up knees and I think he got at least one knee replaced and, you know, we were talking and he had done all these things. He was a former gymnast, former elite powerlifter. I mean, he was just like, he had really bought in to like, the strength culture, really. And when I talked to him, I was like, well, what do you miss the most? And he said, running. And I was like, well, it's so funny that everything is like totally antithetical with that. And most of the like strength culture we have now is also quite antithetical to that. And it's like you were saying with those 60 year old guys, like dancing and moving their spines, you know, all, all these folks were like, Oh, you got to do this with a straight back and you got to do it this way. And, it's because they have to say that because otherwise what use are they? They need to say, well, this is the right way to do it. So if you want to listen to the right way, then you listen to me. But if they admit that, you know, we're not really sure what the right way is. And, and the truth is, I don't know what the right way is going to be for you. Um, but how could you look at some dancers and say that what they're doing is wrong and going to injure themselves? You know, it's, it's really, it's really like very fuzzy logic when you get right down to it. And the human body is far more adaptable and resilient than some people believe. And everything is a risk reward. Um, but I do think there's a serious problem for believing some of these ideas because, you know, the placebo effect is a real effect. The reason it's called placebo effect is because it has an effect. You know, if I write poison on a bottle of water, you're going to feel more sick. Uh, if I write medicine on it, you're going to feel better, most likely. Uh, I think placebo effect is like 30% effective. So if you believe this narrative, if you believe this story, 
uh, monkeys are so good at telling stories. If you believe this story that you're going to like hurt you hurt your back if you do something in a certain way, or God forbid you let your knee go past your toe, your kneecap will explode and like go flying across the room. It's utterly ridiculous when you think about it. But the reason that these myths are perpetuated is to maintain the authority that is gained from telling these narratives. Like if I say, oh, this bad, scary thing over here is bad, but I'm really good, then I've like really created a clear division so you can see that, you know, what I have is better. Uh, which is often why these stories are perpetuated. So my point of all this is if you believe something will damage you, very likely it will. If you believe that you are adaptable, resilient, unique, and individual, and you accept all the risk and the personal responsibility for the choices you make, and you are the pilot of your own body and your own life, you're going to have a much more empowered feeling than a fearful feeling. So I take, uh, uh, how do I, how would I find this? I'm not a huge fan of fear mongering. Let's just say that. Yeah, I hear you. I, I think that there's a lot of that goes, that goes on in a very coached, um, lifting based system where, yeah, if you do it this way, I remember watching a, like a, uh, he might have been like 65 the truck driver who was also a deadlift specialist he would go up to the bar and he would like he was whistling like like almost like half crazy type like whistling up to the bar gets over it back is as rounded as can be and pulls like you know he's the guy's like 180 pulled like 550 at age you know 60 something i guarantee that guy doesn't have it in his mind that oh this is gonna hurt me you know when everyone's probably like look at him like oh you're gonna hurt yourself you know what i'm saying like i just think that there's a lot of resiliency and power there um well, especially if we're going to talk about pain, I mean, dude, there there is a lot of funky stuff going on there with pain. So, when, um, number one, just because you have like a physical problem, like let's say a herniated disc or a torn uh, rotator cuff or whatever, doesn't mean you're going to have pain. Um, if you look at the phantom limb. Uh, shit with uh, Ramachandran at UCSD. That's like one of the most crazy things you've ever heard. People have pain in a hand that's no longer attached to their body. So we have all these ideas like, oh, the reason your knees hurt is because uh, your your knees going over your toes. It's like, really? I I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> let's let's think about this. Like, the the truth is, it's very hard to figure out why someone hurts. It's really, really hard to figure out why. You can try stuff and figure it out. You can do all kinds of evaluations. Um, you know, I've gone through so many different courses where we do movement evaluations and we screen this and we screen that. And, you know, okay, if they have pain here, then it's maybe this. And it's almost like a, you want to try to write a computer program for it. Like, if this, then this. If this, then this. And a lot of physical therapy is still done that way, too. Or it's like, okay, you have a sprained supraspinatus. Okay, that means we're going to give you program 4B. All right? So you work for your, oh, yes. Oh, no. Infraspinatus? Okay, we give you program 5C for that one. And it's like this menu of things that are, you know, correlated in the system. But it's it's just not taking the big picture into 
consideration, which is tons of people with a rotator cuff tear, full tear, feel no pain from it. So they're asymptomatic. And so you always have to consider the whole organism. Um, you know, a lot of people have back pain, back pain that's totally psychosomatic. That's the number one workers comp uh, injury. And, you know, we are not a country of manual laborers either. You know what I mean? So, so I'm part of the reason for that might be that it's like really almost impossible to uh, test that for truth. Like if someone says their back hurts and you take an MRI and it's clean, like their back probably still hurts, but you can't really prove it. You know what I mean? So it's just, uh, yeah, the, the pain thing is like way too complex to really have an idea, especially when you consider things like phantom limb. So what matters then is if you can uh, take a holistic approach and see an improvement. And for one person, their shoulder could maybe hurt. I mean, I did the simple shoulder solution, which is um, kind of an extension of that line of thinking. And actually the reason I put out simple shoulder solution and created that in the first place was because I was so irritated uh, it's true. It's, I was very irritated about the narrow focus with which shoulder um, issues were approached. It's like suddenly every shoulder problem was, you know, solvable by, by these guys. And here's the deal. Some people will benefit a lot from something like that. But, you know, the neck, the shoulder blade, the thoracic spine, your breathing, your diaphragm, which plugs into everything. Like maybe it's your liver. Like you just, there are a lot of reasons that your shoulder can hurt. Um, but it's important to take a holistic approach and take that um, like big picture and then figure out like what is really improving for you as an individual the most, which is kind of why I lay it out that way. It's like, here's this, here are these considerations you know, because I can't know what's going to help you. I can't know. There's no way. Like, I would be so asinine to assume that I could, like, diagnose your shoulder uh, or a person's shoulder over over the Internet, even over videos. Like, really tough. So if you have some ideas of what you can do to improve the functionality, that that's really great. That's all you can do. Yeah, I... I definitely think uh, it gets me to thinking about just the, the idea of just you mentioned you had kind of shown like a, a shoulder band thing. And I see so many athletes who are obsessed with thinking that that's the solution of their shoulder. But yet they're doing it every single week and clearly their shoulder isn't getting better. Um, there's always there's always a lot more to that. Max, um, before we go, I, I did want to ask you a little bit. Um, uh, could you tell us people where to find you? And then some of the I know you'd mentioned a product you had coming out. And could you just yeah. tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for having me, Joel. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great talking with you. Um, you can find me at MaxShank.com. As far as I know, I'm still the only like Max Shank when you Google. I'm like the first two pages, and then it's like drill bits. That's like the other thing that's called Max Shank, which is pretty funny to me. Um, the product I just put out is awesome. I've been waiting only like four years to get it together. It's called Primal Athleticism. And it's the evolution from ultimate athleticism. And ultimate athleticism is a little bit more of a narrow focus. Primal athleticism is more broad. 
it takes a lot of those things into consideration that we were talking about, like vision, vestibular system, rhythm, elasticity, you know, the fact that your feet are your second heart. And it really, really broadens your skill set. And it's organized into a really nice daily practice that is also modular. And it'll give you all of those qualities that you want to have to live the longest and really um, be able to move fearlessly in any situation. And I'm, I'm really happy with how that has worked out. Um, it's, it's definitely the best investment a person can make. And if um, things are super tight, you can go to YouTube and find the primal reset playlist because I don't want to like leave everybody high and dry if they really got no bill right now. So the primal reset playlist will be like a really good introduction to those concepts. And then primal athleticism is just quite frankly, all of the best stuff I know right now into a nice tight modular system. And uh, that's also why I don't post more. It's because that shit is really hard to organize into something really concise. <laughs> I hear you. I, I definitely understand that. Uh, well, it sounds like an awesome product for training information. And uh, yeah, it sounds really cool. So uh, I, I know uh, the product of so many years and the evolution of things that it really, I'm, I'm sure that'll help a lot of people. So thank you so much, uh, Max, for being on the show today. I really appreciate it, man. Awesome, dude. Thanks, Joel. That rounds out another show. Thanks so much for being here. Just a couple quick things before we leave. One of which is if you enjoy the show, you can definitely help us out by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. The second is be sure to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. They've been a longtime sponsor of the show. They have an amazing blog and an awesome online technology store. So be sure to check them out and what they're doing, simplyfaster.com. We will see you guys next week. Have a good one.